Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. <laughs> It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mattis. All right, welcome back to another episode of the SI Boxing Podcast. Glad you could join me this week. We've got a good show. Teddy Atlas, the veteran boxing trainer, boxing broadcaster, he joins me. And Teddy talks a little bit about what he's seen from boxing since its return during this pandemic. Also, Teddy has a long and somewhat complicated relationship with Mike Tyson. Tyson's back in the news once again with the new biopic about his life getting greenlit. I talked to Teddy about that and Tyson's legacy. Was Mike Tyson a great fighter or was he just a big attraction? That and more with Teddy Atlas. A little bit later on, Mikey Garcia joins the show. Mikey's one of those big-time stars that's still wondering when his next fight is going to happen. I talked to Mikey about his future plans and... Is Manny Pacquiao a fight that he still thinks he can get at some point this year or early next year? Stick around for that. Great conversation with Mikey Garcia. Quick housekeeping note. If you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it. Head over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple. It's easy. It's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right. On to my conversation with Teddy Atlas. All right, joining me now on the show, he is one of the most respected trainers out there, broadcasters, also a podcast host now, does a terrific job with his pod, Teddy Atlas, joining me now on the show. Teddy, how are you today? I'm just, um, I'm lucky I'm even here, you know, I'm not good with technology, and this there was more to getting this done that meets the eye. Thank God I have a daughter that I put through law school. And um, I didn't know that uh, the priority of putting her through law school was going to wind up being that she would make sure I'd be able to uh, get set up on a podcast um, and have uh, and actually have have a conversation. But if you left it to me, I'd be on a food channel right now somewhere uh, <laughs> talking about eggs and souffle and stuff like that. I am the worst person at technology and and i even got these things now without wires which you have too and for me i know a lot of people are going to be saying wow you spend a lot of time talking about 
simple things, but it's like uh, it's like breaking molecules uh, in my world. Being able to have these and being able to have somebody set me up on a on a podcast without uh, without actually talking on a phone. Well, you seem to do pretty well with technology on your own show, Teddy. I watch your show on YouTube. It's clean. It's clear. It seems like uh, it seems like it's working out there. It's called producer. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's. I'm very fortunate. I have a producer who uh, takes care of me uh, like a baby and makes sure that he's there. Every step of the way. Otherwise, it would not be so clean. But it's good seeing you. It's uh, likewise nice, nice seeing you and hearing you. So, Teddy, we're about a month into boxing's return. A few weeks into boxing's return. Uh, what have you thought of what you've seen so far? Is, I mean, the the fights haven't been great, but boxing is back. I mean, what has your been overall impression? Would you, what you just said? You know, I mean. COVID or no COVID, if you're going to answer a question, you got to answer it honestly. Um, or you should hide out because of COVID and then say, I can't talk. But um, kind of like what you said, they, they haven't been great. And if they're not, you know, if the fights aren't that good, I don't know. I don't think you celebrated just being back. But that's me. You know, that's, that's me. Um, you know, because... There are other things that you can move down the line. I know you want to see sports. I get it. And you want to see live sports. I get it. I get it. Um, but, you know, you want to see programming that's entertaining and interesting. And in this case, competitive. And you haven't seen a real lot of that uh, or the quality of that that you would hope to see. Um, maybe, you know, obviously – there's always hope that it gets better. Um, but there's also the, and I'm not going to say, I was going to use the word cynical, but I think it's just fair that you wonder if the plan is that being that you're coming back, that you're not going to put the quality on because you're saving money or something along those lines. You know, I'm not a super duper businessman, but I, <laughs> I do, I do understand X and O, you know, I, I, I kind of get those things in life. And so if that, if that is the entry plan or has been, then maybe you have to reevaluate that entry plan because at the end of the day, no matter what, it's kind of like being in the ring. You can make all the excuses in the world. <laughs> you know, my girlfriend yelled at me. Uh, I didn't sleep good last night. You know, I just had a new baby. You know, my manager's not treating me right. You can say whatever you want, but you better freaking put the punches together. You, you better move your head. You, you better be ready when that bell rings. And to me, boxing is life. And, and I, you know, maybe I'm making it simplistic, but sometimes we need to make things simple. And for me, you better, you better if you're in the business of putting fights on, you better put good fights on. And you, you better have your yours in a row, you know, knowing what your plan is and, you know, knowing exactly uh, what it is that you're looking to accomplish. Mm -hmm. There's been 
a lot of fighters out there that have already said, the top-tier fighters, Teddy, that have said, I'm not coming back for less money. I'm not coming back behind closed doors. What do you think of that? I think it's their prerogative. I think they're fortunate enough to be in a position where they can have that prerogative. It's nice to have options. You know, it's nice to have a cushion. You know, God bless all these people out there that haven't been working. It's nice the ones that have something put away where they can survive. I feel awful for the ones that don't, you know. And um, matter of fact, my foundation, you know, looks to we try in our little way, our charity foundation, to help those people that have fallen through the cracks in that way. Um, but And that aren't getting subsidized with unemployment, stuff like that. But again, those fighters, I would, to say it the right way, they earned the right to say that. Their success, their talent, their determination, their commitment put them in a position where they can say that and they can have that choice. God bless them. Uh, that's good for them. I, I understand it. I might even agree with it. I don't know. But I, I definitely understand it. But not everybody's in that position. You know, and, and then you could argue with them a little bit too. Say, hey, this is the times now. Don't you have a commitment to stay competitive? Don't you have a commitment? You know, Tom Brady, I know he's 43. Just forget about that. But Tom Brady not getting out on the football field is not going to be the same Tom Brady because he's not playing. You know, uh, you, you want to. If you have those kind of skills, no matter what it is, whatever vocation you happen to be in, if you're not using those skills, practicing those skills, you're not as good. <laughs> I mean, you don't need Teddy Atlas to tell you that. If you're a surgeon and, and, and you're saying, you know what, I'm not going to do surgery during this time unless, well, maybe I might not want you to be my surgeon when you come back <laughs> 10 months later. <laughs> Get a little practice. Get a little practice before you come open me up. So I kind of have to go on that side too and say to those guys, I get it. I get it. But if you want to be the best, you adjust to the times. And right now, if it's not fighting or fighting at an adjust, adjusted fee, but you're fighting, you're polishing your skill, you're using your skills. At some point, that has to come into this. Has to. I mean, could you imagine, you know, same thing with the, with the football players. Let's just say theoretically, or, you know, whatever sport, they're all in the same position right now. But let's just say that they say, look, we're going to reduce your, we're going to reduce, which might happen. We're going to reduce your, your, um, your checks 20%, you know. Some of them might say, hey, I'm waiting until it's back up to 100. I'm not, I'm not, I worked my life. I, work, I, I took the risk. I busted my backside. No, no. Okay, that's your prerogative. But if you don't suffer in another way, as far as the league rules go, see, that's the difference. Boxing don't have no league rules. <laughs> 
That's the difference. You ain't going to do that in the NFL. They're going to say, oh, no, no, no. Everyone's going to get back on the field because you have someone called a national commission. Mm-hmm. You don't have that in boxing. That, that, we never worried about it before. We worried about it, or at least I worried about it a lot. I used to say, you know, we, that's why we get bad decisions. We, we don't have a national czar. We don't have a national you know, body that puts police in position to make sure that there's uniform you know, rules across the board that will be acted on, that will be executed. We don't have that. And it's a problem. It's definitely a problem in our sport. Um, but now you look at it and say, hey, you just brought up a beautiful point. There's some guys saying, I ain't coming back right now. You know, I'm not taking less. And there's nobody to say, hey, no, you are coming back. They're, because there is no conformity. There is no unilateral, you know, commission or person in charge, I should say. There is in the UFC. You're, you're not saying that in the UFC, even the big stars. Because there's one guy in charge, and he's not thinking about just one fighter. He's thinking about the overall sport. And we don't have that. Let's face it. We have about four power brokers right now in our sport, and they worry about their piece of property. I got my property here. I got this one over here. I think I'm going to put a fourth pool in next month. (laughs) I got another piece over here. I got a piece... And that's it. They ain't worrying about the landscape of boxing. They're not doing that. Mm-hmm. So it's you got those interesting scenarios. Yeah, and I don't blame fighters either for not wanting to fight because as much as any other sport, I mean, the danger is, is, is there. And if you're a fighter putting your life on the line out there, you deserve to maximize your value uh, every single time you step into the ring. Uh, one fighter uh, not stepping in the ring by his own choice is your uh, now former charge, Alexander Vostik. Um, tell me, Teddy, how did you find out about Alexander's decision to retire, and what did you think of it? Did it surprise you? Um, he, he called me. That's number one. He told me. We have a direct, good relationship, trust, and um, trust only continues to be built on trust, on communication, on talking, on telling each other what's going on. And um, so he, he called me, he told me uh, what he was thinking. Uh, I was surprised at first. I was, I had a mini camp a few months ago before the COVID hit. I set up a minute because we didn't, we thought we would be coming back, but we weren't sure when. We thought it'd be in the summer. So, I said, we can't keep waiting. Let's get a mini camp, you know, and kind of like bring the car into the garage. Take a look at it, you know. See, see, give it a tune-up. Uh, see what it looks like. Take it out on the road, you know, before we go to a race. And that's how I looked at it. Uh, I brought him in for two weeks to sat down, stayed with me, and we trained in the gym. And uh, he, he looked really good. And uh, we worked hard. You know, you can take liberties. You can do things a little different when you know you're not getting ready for a specific fight. I was, I was experimenting. Mm. You know, I, I was throwing certain things at him. And I wanted to see where he was here off that 
difficult fight, you know, where he fought a great fight, but the other guy fought a great fight too, you know, and um, got to him in the 10th round. But we were winning going into the 10th round against probably the best light heavyweight in the world, better be if. But um, he he looked good in the mini camp, and the whole idea was corrected things. We had looked at the better be a fight the first time. Either one of us looked at it. We, we looked at it together. And um, we went over all that. We went over our X's and O's, cleaned it up, fixed it, uh, even did some sparring with a kid that I had here that I got to spar with him. And he looked really good. So when I initially heard it, I was surprised. But, you know, he uh, – I mean, the, there's tremendous pressure on a fighter. You know, it's like, hey, look, no, no different than a father that has to get up every morning and provide for his family and, and hope to God that he can keep doing it uh, and continue to, you know, hold that level of job uh, so he can continue not failing his family. And there's a tremendous pressure being a fighter that, the same things, and also a little more, uh, because you got to get in the ring every day with a man who's trying to take everything from you, a man who's trying to uh, hurt you. Uh, you know, th those are tremendous pressures to do that, not just in the fights, but every day for two months in preparation for the fights. And you're talking about these top kids like Lomachenko and Usyk and you know, Crawford and whoever, whoever you might pick, Canelo, they've been doing that since they're eight, nine, 10, 11, you know. And um, so you're talking about by the time they get to a successful place and, and they're already been successful, like my kid, he's 33 years old. You're talking about you already put 20 years in, maybe more maybe 23, and it's, you know, just think about it. It's, it, it begins, it can grind at you, it can wear at you, uh, that kind of pressure, that kind of physical, emotional, mental, you know, banging, 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 you know, and uh, you can get to a point where, the fire to do it might not be what it used to be. And I always say, if it's not, then you shouldn't do it. You know, do you think, at this do you level. Think, Teddy, Teddy, do you think that the better BF fight took some of the fire out of him? I, I was ringside for that fight. He, he looked excellent and fought better BF as well as I've seen anyone fight him up until this point. But I mean, better BF's a strong guy. And to, to win, as you know, you have to keep Mafia for for the full 12 rounds. Uh, do you think that took something out of him or is that kind of narrative overrated? It's never overrated. It's true. It's, it's, it's real. I mean, what's, what's overrated is what people sometimes say uh, at, a, at a press conference. That might be overrated because they're just saying what everyone expects them to say. <laughs> but what's not overrated is what you just said. That's that's real. That's real. What you go home with? We spent the night in the hospital. 
That's not overrated. That's real. You feel it. You think about it. You know, you understand what happened. Uh, I thought that it had the effect, and it did. That doesn't mean it can't change. To come back and take back what was taken from you. To, to feel that you went to a place that you had never been taken to before, and now you know what that place is. And so now you have two choices, not, not a column of choices, basically two. Never go there again or go back there with a light, with a light that I didn't have when I went there the first time. Mm. I want to explore further. I want to go further. And we had that discussion, and he wanted to go further. Um, but, again, it's, it's a marathon. It's not a 40-yard sprint. You know, it, 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 these things stay with you, stay with you, stay with you. That's part of the battle. Keeping those ninjas, like I like to say, from coming over the wall, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, they keep coming. They keep coming. That's part of the battle. And, you know, everyone has their battle in life. doesn't have to be in, in my sport. And whatever it is, they got ninjas coming. They, they got it. I bet you when they're listening to this, they say, yeah, I got a few right now that are coming over my freaking backyard, and I have until like 6 o'clock in the morning to figure out what the freak I'm going to do with them. And um, when we came ready to come back, we said, okay, we'll be ready in April. I think that was the date. Because they asked us, the promoter, the manager, when he'd be like, April. I wanted six months of rest. Tough fight. He needed six months. And then April came and um, the fight wasn't there. You know how it is in this business, Chris. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a lot easier ordering a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and the fight didn't come. You know, we're, we're top rank and it didn't come, then it was said, okay, we'll go a little longer and we'll get this fight and that fight didn't happen. And those things, we're not, you can't blame it. I mean, it happens. It happens. It's part of it sometimes. I think that if we would have fought then, if the fights didn't go sideways with, for whatever reasons, um, I think he'd be fighting still. Hmm. But maybe it was... I don't like to use this word, but just to get the point across, in some way, some kind of intervention. Because at the end of the day, if he's not hungry now, maybe then he wouldn't have been. Even though he was then, he thought he was. But it's a difference of thinking you are, getting in that ring, in a tough fight, and around the eighth round, you look in your fighter's eyes, and you don't see what you want to see. We didn't want to be there. And I think that's part of his honesty. This kid fought an honest fight. Always did. Good fighter. Good fighter. Smart fighter. Maybe that's part of it. Smart fighter. Smart fighter. That, that he's thinking, you know, and honest. He's thinking, hey, we'll, we'll 
my eyes show what they need to show on that day. And at the end of the day, he felt, no, but I, I've done this to the point I want to do it. And he had another opportunity from a business standpoint to do something. And I told him he did the right thing because he was honest. He was honest. And he did a great thing. He won a world title. How many guys win a world title? Not too many. No, they don't. And you're right. Once you lose even a little bit of the hunger, it, it, it's not just about losing. It's about maybe getting hurt. And you want to make sure you've you got that fire in your belly every time you go into a camp and every time uh, that you step in the ring. I, I want to ask you, Teddy, about a lot of talk this week about the Mike Tyson biopic and Jamie Foxx playing Mike Tyson, a lot of excitement about what that might look like. As someone who was, in a lot of ways, part of the Mike Tyson story, I mean, how do you feel about a Mike Tyson movie being made? They've made them before. I mean, there was a couple. Uh, there was a Mike Tyson story. Jesus, uh, twenty-five years ago was made. I, I don't remember who made it. Um, but I remember well, this will probably lessons. be the biggest one. This will probably be like the Hollywoodization of Mike Tyson for, if not the first time, the most significant time. I mean, you knew it was coming. I think to a certain extent. I mean, he's. He's a, you know, he's a curious, he's a public figure. He's a, he was a star. He was a heavyweight champ. He was one of the most recognizable faces in the world and definitely in the world of sports when he was on top. He was on the cover of your magazine, Sports Illustrated, Kid Dynamite. I remember that, Kid Dynamite. <laughs> and, you know, so he... He had that career, but he had more than that career. He had the it factor. He had the the wow, you know, with the knockouts. Um, he's one of those. He, he has persevered because his his name has stayed out there because he's got the one thing that sometimes even the great athletes don't have that that curiosity that just that. It's even a morbid curiosity, and it's it's not because it's Teddy Atlas saying it because you know he was with him and what happened happened. Oh, it's a fair description. There's a morbid curiosity, and always has been about Tyson. You know, well, at first it started off with you know this kid that came from where he came from and the story with the old man, and can he become you know. Can he keep the old man alive? And then the old man dies. And then, you know, can he keep knocking everyone out? He's, he's 18, 19 and 0 with 19 knockouts. He, you know, and that's, we don't have great attention spans. So you knew that you could be watching the 10 second fight as, you know, better chance than watching the 12 round. And that was okay with people. That was okay. Nobody was disappointed because you were going to see sensation. You're going to see, bang, lightning come out of the sky. And, you know, when lightning comes out of the sky and you see that light show, it only lasts a couple minutes, but you remember it. You never walk away saying, that lightning show didn't last long enough. No, it was a lightning show. And that's what he was. And, and people, people loved it. And then it morphed. It transitioned. It's just something else. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to 
argue with myself, is it fair to say, coming from me, a bit of a freak show? And, I, and I'm saying, I'm, am I saying this? I, I try to pride myself that I say things based on my professional beliefs, not on personal, you know, pushing or nudging. So I, I think I'd say that if I had something to do with Tyson or I didn't have something to do with him, that it became a bit of a, a wacky show, you know, uh, a bit of Jerry Springer on steroids. And, you know, and people were kind of watching it like this, you know, like part of you almost like don't want to see it, but you got to see it. Mm -hmm. like, you know, biting someone's ears off, uh, you know, what else saying I'm going to eat your children uh, at a press conference, you know, and uh, I, I mean, what else, what else could, could come of this, you know? And I, I, I don't think it was connected to an athletic performance anymore. I think it was connected to what he had been, what he was now, and what, crazy thing might happen that we might get to see. Mm -hmm. And I think that there, there will be a lot of people, even when this little video came out with him, which is a little silly, but, you know, he's got the DNA of a athlete. That just doesn't go to bed. He, he, he's got that, he's got those genes. So, when he decides to hit the pads, even at 53 or whatever he is, it's going to be pretty good, <laughs> especially if nobody's hitting back. <laughs> it's going to be pretty good. If you took Hank Aaron, the great Hank Aaron, the great Willie Mays at 53, and you put them in a batting cage, they'd be hitting line drives. Mm -hmm. They'd be hitting long balls. <laughs> but you wouldn't be saying... I want to see him, you know, up against Verlander. You wouldn't be saying that. But boxing's a little different. And with Tyson, it's a little different. And people's imagination. And I think that's the greatest thing. Tyson was a great catalyst for the imagination. He, was a, he really was. He had a little imagination. Like Cush used to talk about, I, I, I started, give me a spark. And I'll make it into a flame. With, with Tyson, just give me a little imagination and I'll, I'll, I'll make it into a feature crazy movie. You know, I'll, I'll run with it. And you can run with it. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of people will be curious to see because they, they remember when he was knocking guys out. They remember all the craziness. And... They want to take a peek. You know, you, you want to, you know, if you heard something was coming uh, to town, you know, uh, in a special show, you, you, you'd probably want to take a peek to see. And that's what it is. People want to take a peek at him. Like, what? even the ones that didn't see him, they heard about it. Let me take a peek at him. Let me see what he looks like, you know? And uh, so it's it's... It would be more surprising if I was if a movie was never made, because you know people just saw. I know it's a different situation, but they saw with the Michael Jordan all the attention it got. 
well, you could argue he was Michael Jordan of boxing, you know, and, and uh, for that period of time. And so when they're going to do a, a movie, a document, whatever it is, on, on a person who captured the audience, his audience, of his sport, to that level, you're going to have you're going to have interest, and with Tyson, I think it crosses over beyond the boxing, because there'll be wipes out there that say, "Oh yeah, let me watch that." Me, <laughs> you know, like, I, the guy you guys were all you, you guys were all drinking beers and you were screaming and everything that he bit somebody's ear off. Uh, let me, yeah, let me see how did. How did this guy, how did those wires get, get put in where he became that? Let me take a look. Let me take a look. And that's a big part of it, too, because I think we have a Frankenstein syndrome in this country. We like to see monsters made. We might not want them in our living room unless they're on television. But we do... We do want to say we were around when they walked the earth. <laughs> we do want to say, yeah, I was around when Tyson, yeah, yeah, I was, I was around when he was around. Yeah, I no, saw him one time out uh, somewhere, and he's a scary dude. You're right, Teddy. My, I mean, you're right. Nobody ever left a Tyson event disappointed, no matter how quick the fight went. I mean, I, I, my, one of my earliest memories uh, was watching Tyson's first fight out of prison against Peter McNeely. I'm a Boston guy. Peter was known uh, in this area. And I remember vividly seeing when they, when they squared off in the middle of the ring with the referee's instructions, watching Tyson's eyes go back and forth on Peter and seeing Peter kind of smile, this nervous smile. It's like in that moment, I think Peter realized what he was in for. Like what, what and that's, that was just Tyson. That was the, the powerful presence that he was. You know what you just said is interesting because I'm going to take it. I'm going to take that what you just said, and I'm going to raise it by saying, "Yeah, very true." And Tyson knew exactly what he was doing. Tyson knew that I could end this fight without throwing a punch because he he understood that because he. He was a guy who's scared. We all are. It's just a matter of what we do for a living, how we control it, and to what level we control it. And or does it control us? And Tyson's a guy who's been intimidated his whole life. I know that sounds crazy. People are going to be, what? What? Hello? What did he just say? He could hide it better than a lot of people because he had physicality, DNA, that very few people get. Very few. So he could hide it better. But there's a kid who, on his own words, would say when he was in Brownsville growing up that, you know, he, he didn't have a father at home and he was out there and like a lot of kids in inner city sometimes. And um, he would hide in between walls of abandoned buildings so that the, the rough guys in the neighborhood, the bad guys, the rough guys, they couldn't get to him. They, they, they couldn't find him. That's, that's a different level. 
So he understands what it is to feel intimidated, to feel like something's being torn away from you. And he understands what it feels to do it to somebody, what the effects could be on somebody, how you could, how it can leave somebody empty, destroy somebody. I mean, he was, he, he understood that from where he came from. I remember one time I had him in a junior Olympic. It was in Queens, somewhere off. I pretty good memory, 35 years, my God, whatever. Some, I, it was somewhere in Queens, and we were fighting in the regional junior Olympics to go to the nationals, and he, we're warming up in the hallway. And I got him warming up, and the other guy's down on the other end of the hallway. He knows he can see him. So right away, whatever I do now is going to register with this guy. It's going to influence this guy. So he went over, and he felt the wall. I noticed it. I'm in the business. I got to notice these things. But I noticed. I watched him. I said, what is he doing? And I thought to myself, I think I know what he's doing. And he looked at me. He went back, he felt the wall, and then he waited about 30 seconds, waited for the guy where he knew the guy was looking. He went up to the wall, bang, and he punched right through. You know what he was feeling? He was feeling to see if it was plasterboard or if it was concrete. Genius. Genius in that world. Genius. The, guy, the fight was over. I was going to yell, somebody help that guy. He, he might need a hand getting up into the ring. I mean, it was over. <laughs> and so the point I'm making, and it's a, the right point, I think, is he always understood that world, but he suffered from that world too. He suffered when somebody stood up to him. Mm -hmm. It was like the gig is up. Because when you depend, and I've said this, I said years ago, the greatest weakness of Tyson, is, if it's, not, it's not physical, the greatest weakness is that he depends on other people to be weak for him to be strong. We should never do that in life. We should never do that in life. But... Life is large. Mm -hmm. It's very large. And it encapsulates a lot. So he, um, you know, when he could cover what he didn't have mentally with his physical ability, you never knew that was there was a weakness there. But when somebody would stand up to him, you, you, could, you could see it. And, yeah. and people don't understand it. And that's another thing, another part of the enigma why, you know, people, I mentioned Frankenstein earlier. People want to see how Frankenstein got created. It's, it's interesting. How do you take a guy that Teddy just talked about that's as good as any, probably as any heavyweight in the history of the sport has ever been physically, punch with either hand, probably harder or as hard as any heavyweight, uh, put together speed and quickness 
probably more as much as any heavy other than Ali, but it's different, you know, different. Ali did it boxing, you know, Tyson did it moving forward. So uh, obviously different approach, but nobody's ever had the combination of power and speed. I mean, it was kind of like, if you had to make a comparison, kind of like a, it would be like a large Pacquiao. I mean, Pacquiao, unbelievable speed and power when he was Pacquiao, you know, although he's still doing pretty damn good for an old guy. But (laughs) he's pretty amazing. But, I mean, what a great genetics of speed and power. Tyson had that as a big guy. And, you know, and then on top of it, he had the Sonny Liston approach. He developed that. You know, we just talked about it. Sonny Liston was the first great intimidator. Tyson watched Sonny Liston. Matter of fact, when we win the Nationals in Denver, Colorado, for his first Nationals um, in the Junior Olympics, there were the imagination. Again, there were people on the bus, kids on a bus that, that were part of just like us. We would sit by ourselves. No accident. I went along with it because I knew what we, what we were doing. I, 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 I should have been ashamed of myself, scaring the crap out of these poor kids. <laughs> <laughs> but we would, sit, we would sit over here, they'd all be here, and you'd hear them talking. That's, that, that's, that's Sonny Liston's nephew. And they believed it. That's Sonny Liston's nephew. And and Tyson would be eating it up. Like he would sit there like. But then every once in a while he'd look at me. You know, like like a little smile. Like <laughs> look at these knuckleheads. But this is part of the game. Mm-hmm. Because you grab anything you can in this business. I mean, you don't think that uh Randy Johnson, the great pitcher, that he didn't throw it at your head and then uh, throw one that went over and made made you think does he have control (laughs) you shouldn't be up there ready to hit worrying about if a guy has control should you no Mm -hmm. you should but he put that into your head Mm -hmm. you know and then he made a joke out of he had a commercial what do you call it mr uh yeah i forgot yeah i know what you're talking about but yeah yeah. (laughs) my son i mean he's got my son got a kick out of it it's kind of funny to like the I'm reminded of a story Buddy McGirt told me when he was training Clifford Etienne and he was saying before he fought Tyson Clifford was all hyped he was ready to go he knew thought he was going to win and then he gets to the ring Tyson's music plays Tyson gets in the ring takes off the white t-shirt throws it or the white towel throws it down in front of Cliff and Buddy's words were, you could see Cliff's spirit leave his body in that moment. It was, that was the moment the fight was lost uh, right there. But l- let me ask you this about one debate I have with people, and you're a good person to discuss this with because you saw Tyson very early on. Tyson, no question, is a Hall of Famer because of what he did for boxing. I'm not necessarily convinced he was a Hall of Fame fighter, mostly because the resume isn't deep with quality wins, and there's almost an assumption that I think people make that if he didn't go to jail, he would have continued his rise. I'm not convinced, Teddy, that he would have beaten early 90s George Foreman or he would have beaten early 90s Evander Holyfield 
or Riddick Bowe or Lennox Lewis in those days? I mean, do you believe you, – you said that Tyson, you know, because of the speed and power, one of the greats who could do that. Do you believe Tyson is a, is a great fighter historically? Do you believe his career would have ascended had he not gone to prison? Um, you're a pretty smart boxing writer because a lot of people get led by this, you know, because you can get led by the ear, the nose, because of what I said, the power, the speed, and just, and then you could just assume, oh, if he didn't get in trouble, oh, if the, the, he would have broke Marciano's record, he would have been the greatest. But if we're in a court of law, there's something called evidence. It's a son of a gun, that evidence. But it's yeah, you have to have evidence. And you have to deal with evidence on the other side when they're prosecuting you. And the evidence in this case, pretty simple. I don't have his record in front of me, but you'll help me. I'm, I'm close. He had five fights where he had to overcome something. Five. Where I always say that it's not a fight until there's something to overcome. Up until then, it's a it's an exhibition. It's a it's a physical boxing exhibition it's a, of your talent, of your speed, your ability, your technique. It's an exhibition. It doesn't become a fight until there's something to overcome. Resistance. Something to overcome. Tyson has been in fights five times where there was something to overcome. And he failed all five. Bang. I know people don't want to hear that. I know that I will be getting a call from Jamie Foxx. <laughs> and I, I like Jamie. I think he's great. But I will be getting a call from them saying, hey, Teddy, can you... Uh, they don't want that. I get it. I understand. But we're in a courtroom right now. Mm-hmm. That, And it's just about... The rule of law is about evidence. It ain't about, you know, opinion and this. And it's not my opinion. I'm laying it out there. Five times he had to overcome. Call it what you want. Dig down. You know, whatever you want to call it. He couldn't do it. He didn't do it. The great fighters do it. He's not a great fighter that way. He was a great talent. There's a difference. But not a great fighter. He was a meteor, Chris, that came across the sky that doesn't come across that often. And it was sensational. It was, it was blazing. Meteors are blazing. It was bright. It was brilliant. Meteors are brilliant. And then it burnt out. It, it was a meteor. Joe Lewis... Uh, Muhammad Ali, Marciano, uh, which, whichever one you want to, I mean, go down a great list. There's been so many great ones. Joan Frazier, whatever. But they were planets because they stayed. They didn't disintegrate. They didn't burn up. They stayed. They had substance. They had they had. Whatever it is they, they, that constituted greatness, they had that staying power to be a planet, to hang around, 
to overcome all the things out there in the galaxy that you have to overcome. He didn't have that. He didn't have it. So, again, a lot of people, they'll be like, oh, you're not, you're not giving me what I want because they want, and, and I'll tell you who wants it. If you look, it's curious, and it's easy to figure out. It's the people that were around when he was around because they want to, we all have that in us where we want to say we were around during Jimi Hendrix. Louis Armstrong. Oh, man. Louis Armstrong was great. I wish I was around when he was around. And I could have been sat there and saw him actually do it instead of listening to it on, on just on a record or something. But you want to be around. And that's a lot of people that will say, no, he was this. No, they don't want to hear that because that's their guy. That's the guy that they want to say, I was around when this guy was around, knocking everyone out. And if he didn't get screwed up, he would have broke Marziano's record. You know, he would have knocked everyone. But no, because he didn't have that. If, if he didn't have the power or the speed, take one of those attributes away. Nobody's going to argue that he's not a great fighter. Right away, so you're right that he's not a great fighter. He's not great. Okay. If he doesn't have that element, that attribute, that ability that makes you overcome things, it's the same thing, baby. It's the same thing. It's just that it's not one of those neon talents that makes us comfortable. Because who talks about being dependable as a talent? Let me tell you something, Michael Jordan, if you go back and watch that documentary, that's what he was. There were other guys out there that were just as good physically. People say, oh, Teddy, come on, Air Jordan, dude. Yeah, yeah, there were guys that were just as good. But they didn't have that, all of it. He had that talent to be dependable, to find a way, to overcome, to deal with resistance. Yeah. And if you you take that out, boom, just like if you took the power, no argument. Oh, he's no good. Well, you take that out. He's not great. You're not great without it. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at, you know, I remember talking to Holyfield, you know, a few months ago. And one thing he said to me was when he fought Foreman, Foreman had made him dig deep as, as hard as he had to dig in his career because you couldn't move him and hit you with just some bombs whenever he threw punches. And I have a hard time, Teddy, seeing, you know, early 90s version of Tyson having that same success, like digging deep, like you said, and having that same level of success. you got to bring your lunch with these guys, Chris. Mm -hmm. Tyson wasn't ready to bring his lunch. You know, he wasn't. Could you, could you tell that, it, Teddy, early on? Like, I mean, could you see yeah. that in him? Yeah. We used me and Cus. I mean, I, I was the guy in charge of every day teaching him the rudiments of boxing, teaching him what he was going to need, developing him every day. He, he came to us he was 12, just before he was 13. And I worked with him close to four years. Maybe it was three and a half, four, I don't know. And um, he, you know, I was in, every day I was in the gym. Cus would come by the gym once a week, 
just to overlook, just to see what was going on. Hey, doing a good job. These guys are looking good. You look, you know. And then when Tyson came, uh, his concentration obviously was more on him than the other kids. But he he would come once a week. Sometimes it was a he'd come maybe twice. But um, and just see what the development was with Tyson, with all of them, with all the kids that I had a stable. And when he would spar, most of the time Cus would come. He'd want to see that. And we had to pay guys. I mean, you're talking about 13-year-old kid. We had to pay guys. I developed fighters to spar, but he was too powerful for me to put my kids in with him because I didn't want to get my kids hurt. Because he didn't have the confidence to to control himself, to hold back and work with them. He thought he had to hurt everyone because, you know, that was his way of having control. I understand that he was just a kid. When you get older, you have to be better. You have to be better with that. You should be able to control yourself with somebody less than you without hurting them. But he couldn't do that. Mm. So I had a couple guys. I had a few guys, uh, Craig Joffman, Lenny Daniels became a state trooper. I told him to become a state trooper. Um, if Tyson wasn't around, I might have let him keep boxing. <laughs> when Tyson came, become a state. Yeah, I think it'd be a good idea to become a. The, Teddy, the test is coming up. This is true. The, the, the test is coming up for state. Should I take it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, take it. And, and God bless him. He's he makes it, from what I understand, he's done well and he's done real well and he's a great tribute to the uh to the police and um just just a terrific person but when when i had these kids that i had developed because all my kids i didn't get kids with 400 fights 300 i developed them myself up in catskill and i would take them down to the blocks to smokers to get experience so it was a you know i was doing it that way the so i i wasn't you know happened we didn't have programs like the great great crunk gym where you know they're they're fighting every every week or they're fighting twice a week you know a developer and we didn't have 200 kids in the gym you know we had 30 kids 20 kids 40 kids so i had to take care of each one of them teach them and then at the right time bring them down and get them the fights when it was appropriate and it's Go wherever you had to go to get them because they weren't always available. So when it was time for him to spar, I tried putting him in with a couple of the kids that I just described that I developed. Oh, after seeing a couple of them get hurt, yeah, no, this ain't working. So we started paying guys, developed amateurs. I remember one guy, he was one of the, the Ricky something, what was his name? From Albany. And we, I remember paying him, again, it's a long time ago. I think it was either $30 or $50. Can you imagine? I, a good, a good, it was a good deal. It was better than McDonald's. I mean, it was a damn good deal, Chris. $30. That's all we paid. It was either $30 or $50. I think it was $30. And we paid him. And when he left the gym, I felt so bad. He got a tooth knocked out. And I thought to myself, this kid's got to go to the hospital, it's going to cost him more than the $30 that he just made sparring, you know? 
think his kid's name was Ricky Melton. So anyway, we we um we would pay guys. Then later when I took him to smokers, he was 13, 14 years old. I was paying guys to put their guys in fifty dollars to put them in, paying them in an amateur show in a smoker, unheard of, unheard of. We were definitely the first ones to do that. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. And you know, to get them just just to get them the experience that of being in there with somebody, you know, that he needed uh, to be prepared to obviously start to compete. Uh, so he, when we would be in the ring, when Cuz would come on the days that he would spar, especially if we were paying some, then then Cuz would come. Okay, Teddy, I'm coming with you. So he would sit there and watch. And Tyson would get in there, and if the guy was good enough, we started getting better guys. We got some guys, some better guys. and But we were starting to get pros to spar with a kid. And when all very developed amateurs, and when they, I mean, Carl Williams later on, Carl Williams came up, you know, as he was, and he was a world amateur champ. But that was later on. Frank Bruno. We had Mickey Thug bring Frank Bruno up there to spar with him. Uh, Tyson was a kid. I was there. But we kind of, we, we kind of uh, did a routine 21 on them. You know, one of those, like, uh, you, you go like this. Okay, you ready to? And we pulled a fast one on. We <laughs> talked to Mickey and poor George Francis, all of them, said, he's just a kid. And he was. He just, but he was a different kind of kid. He didn't tell him that. Oh, he's just a kid, you know. Your guy's eight and always a pro, whatever. I don't know what pro. Big guy looked like Hercules. He's just a kid. You gotta go. You gotta work it. You know. Okay. All right, cuz. Okay. Ding! The bell rings. Bah, 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 bang, bang. The Tyson comes out. They all. Oh, I mean, my God, poor Frank Bruno. <laughs> he must have been like, "What the heck?" And then after the round, Mickey was like, "What the? Ah, you. Oh, you guys. You. You." Americans, not too nice. So they went to second round, Bruno, but it took Bruno a few rounds to warm up. Second round, same thing. Bang, bang, bang. I'm coming after bang, bang, bang. We're all over. And Bruno was starting to get himself ready, you know? After two rounds, okay, that's all. That's it. Come on out, Mike. That's enough. And Cus set him up. He, we, just to get him confident. And he knew that if it went three, four then the guy would start to, to settle down and have his do what he could do. Mm. But Cus didn't let that happen. You know, we were doing all things to, to build this monster up, this Frankenstein. But there were days that we'd be in the ring with a regular guy, you know, pretty good guy, and good enough where the guy didn't get hit flush. And all of a sudden, what happened? Tyson would start putting his hands inside behind the guy. We knew we couldn't have that. See, this is the answer to your question. Did you know? Yeah, because he would put his hands behind the guy, and like Cusimi would say, you're making a silent agreement. You're making a silent deal. You don't hit me, I won't hit you. And most people, when they feel the power of Tyson, they're going to take that deal. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing in life. Same thing. How many people out there have made silent deals? <laughs> There's a lot of you out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have. And it's okay as long as you don't keep doing it. So 
got inside. He put his hands behind the guy. I remember one day, I'm thinking about it, and he and I went crazy, and Cuss went crazy. Get your hands back. You can't put your hands behind that guy. Stop making solid contracts. Stop, <coughs> stop hoping that the guy will leave you alone if you leave him alone. But that's what he was doing. That's what he was doing. And I would physically jump in the ring and slap his hands, slap his hands back so he would have to punch inside. Because you don't want a guy who's 5'10", at least that's what they listed him as. We don't want a guy, <laughs> we don't want a guy 5'10", gets inside and, he, and he's got his hands behind the guy. Come on. You don't need, again, you don't need Teddy Atlas to tell you, that ain't going to work out so well, you know. If you got Marciano, same thing. You want Marciano banging a body inside. You don't want him putting his hands on, giving that up. So we, he was already showing a, a weakness, if you will, in those areas where you had to stay on him. You had to be aware of it. And Cus was aware of it. Well, Cus was a genius. But we were both aware of it, but really aware of it. Because Cus would talk to me sometimes privately and say, your guy, your guy is going to be heavyweight champ of the world. But you got to develop them here more. Got we got it. We have to develop them here, because what good is it having all this ability if he's going to get inside and not use it, and you know fall apart in those areas? So we were very, very cognizant of that flaw in his makeup that he would he could break down in those areas and and recognize it where someone else would just say, "Oh, he's just tying up." No, he's not. Mm. No, he's not. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Teddy, always enjoy these conversations, man. Keep up the great work with the podcast, the foundation, obviously doing incredible things. Uh, look forward to talking again down the line, my friend. Take care. Always nice talking to you, Chris. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys. This is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball. We do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay. So you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Hey, <laughs> hey, stranger. I don't know what you think, and this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So, what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts.
eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. All right, joining me now on the show, he is a four-division world champion, just months removed from his first career win as a welterweight, and a lot of people wondering what's next. Mikey Garcia. What's up, Mikey? (laughs) What's up, Chris? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. So before we get into what's next, just fill me in on what life is like for you now. We're months into this pandemic. Uh, You're a professional boxer trying to stay in shape, needing to stay in shape. Uh, you never know when your next call is going to come. What's uh, what have the last few months been like? Well, we took a big break after the fight. You know, we took some time off. Um, and then with, with the whole pandemic hitting, you know, it actually, you know, made things, you know, where, where no one was able to do anything. Um, different circumstances require different different uh, routine. But uh, now that, that we started getting back in the gym, uh, I'm out actually helping some of the guys that are getting ready for their fights coming up and whatnot, helping them spar a couple of rounds, which like I said, helps me, you know, stay in shape, stay active. Um, we're taking obviously the, the, the right measures, the right, uh, precautionary measures, um, to keep, you know, the distance as much as possible and try not to, you know, get sick, bring something to the gym. But, um, overall, you know, we just want to be, be active. So that when we do get that call, once boxing is back on track like normal, we can, you know, step on the gas and be ready for, for another another fight. So what are you able to do at this point? What, um, you know, what kind of training are you able to do? Well, we do. I've been doing a little bit of running, not, not uh, a whole lot of uh, uh, workout uh, like, like, like with the trainer, just, just by myself running up in, the, in, in my hills there in my house. Um, but now we've been going to the gym and uh, I'm actually going to head out there right now after, after we're done here, um, I'll be sparring a little bit of sparring. So we do, we, now we're starting to get, get back into, into training. Um, I've been helping some of the guys spar a couple of rounds, two, three, four rounds at the most, uh, just to help them, you know, get ready. We have, uh, uh, two kids fighting, uh, tomorrow night actually. So, so they, they actually, uh, were some of the kids that I helped, uh, get some, some work in. Um, we just want to make sure that, you know, like I said, we do as much as we can to be getting some, some exercise, you know, but, uh, at some time helping, helping out the other guys. So you're a healthy guy in the prime of your career. Um, how much does this coronavirus make you nervous? Like how, how anxious do you get being around people? How cautious are you with all this? Well, initially, you know, it was, it was a scarier thought. You because know, we just didn't have the right information. We didn't know what this virus was, what it was capable of doing. So there was a, an, an initial uh, sense of panic and scare. 
But uh, after looking a little more, you know, into it, seeing the the statistics, seeing the the facts, uh, you know, it's not so scary now. Um, at least for me, it's not as I don't feel as as threatened by it. But at the same time, I don't want to bring this home or or accidentally pass this on to somebody who might have uh, complications, like like my father, my mom. You know, who they might be, you know, a lot older and maybe their their immune system defenses are not as strong so those are the the concerns so when it comes to like visiting my parents i i haven't been visiting over as much as we we normally do because of that reason you know um but as far as guys at the gym my brother there he's opened up the gym to his professional fighters he allows them to come in everybody's wearing a mask until it's like a sparring session and if it's a sparring session then you're allowed to take the mask off. But even there, you know, he's taking the right measures and make sure everything's clean, constantly cleaning the entire gym. Every After every fighter uses any equipment, everything gets disinfected um, just to make sure that it's it's a little, a little cleaner environment. Yeah, it's interesting how people are treating this pandemic. I mean, you're in California, which is in some ways one of the eyes of the storm, whereas – you know, I've talked to Terrence Crawford and Brian McIntyre and the people in Nebraska, whereas it's not affecting them quite as much. And for them, it's kind of business as usual. It's almost it almost creates somewhat an unfair playing field. You know, we have some <laughs> guys training full time. And, you know, because you're in California, other guys are in California, like, you know, Virgil Ortiz, who may fight sometime the next yeah. uh, month or so. Like they have to be a little more careful. Yeah, well, it, it made it more complicated. Also, the initial first uh, weeks that this hit, you know, weren't able to be out. We're not able to go shopping for groceries or, or made it complicated, you know? So, so things have slowly moved in a, in a, in a better way. Now, now things are opening up. We're able to go maybe to a restaurant and, and order some food and very limited seating, very limited uh, availability, but at least now we're starting to move forward in the, in the right direction. Um, as far as training, all the gyms were closed, all the, fitness gyms were closed. So you, if you don't have, you know, ways to work out, that complicates things. That made it different. My brother, Jim, you know, he closed his gym for, for several uh, weeks. I think it was like for two months that it was completely closed. You know, so that makes things more, more difficult. And here in California, you know, it, it just seemed to hit a lot harder than we expected. So everybody got really scared and, and had to, you know, stay at home as much as you can. Yeah, it's crazy, especially in different parts uh, of the country. So talk to me about what's next here. We know boxing is back. Top Rank came back with some of their shows. We saw Shakur Stevenson uh, fighting this week. Very low-level type cards uh, with some pretty big mismatches on them at this point. But what is what have been the conversations like for you uh, with whether it's Eddie Hearn or your management team, whomever, about what could be next? Well, you know, I haven't actually uh, gotten into details um, about my, my next fight. You know, leading up to the Vargas fight, we were already in conversations with Team Pacquiao, having a few discussions. It seemed like things were shaping up pretty well uh, with, with that, with Manny Pacquiao getting, getting on board to maybe getting a fight with me. Things went, you know, <laughs> south with, with the whole pandemic and, you know, everything went silent. Everything had to uh, wait so I haven't had any, any further discussions. However, yesterday I was doing another show, uh, the, the, the Fighter's Voice, where Sean Gibbons uh, 
knows the, 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 the man, uh, Richard, and left a, a message for me that Manny's very excited that he would love to entertain a fight with me. That's a big possi- possibility. Um, so that, that get, put a smile on my face. That let me know that there's still interest, you know, um, whether it happens, you know, in the next few months or at the end of the year, we still don't know. But at least I know that he's still interested in a fight with me, you know, because until I hear something like that, I mean, there's a lot of doubt, a lot of, a lot of questions, and a lot of uncertainties. You know, maybe he wants to go a different route. Maybe he wants to stop boxing completely. I mean, I don't know. I don't talk to him directly. So there was always that little uh, uncertainty. But hearing his team, you know, Sean Gibbons say that, that that's a fight that they want, that they're excited to maybe push forward on that, you know, that, that's, that's exciting. And that's a fight that I've always wanted, a fight that I think the fans would love and appreciate. So once things get back on track, that's the fight that I'm going to go after. You were fortunate that you were able to get a significant fight before the pandemic hit. You could have your full training camp. You could have a major fight against Jesse Vargas. Do you feel comfortable with going in straight into a Pacquiao fight post-pandemic, or do you feel like you need something to kind of shake off the rust in between? No, I, I think I'll be ready. I think I, I would be ready to go into a big fight like a Manny Pacquiao fight uh, right right away. Um you know, we've been doing this for such a long time. You know, we're, we're uh, comfortable, you know, taking breaks in between layoffs, sometimes, you know, forced layoffs or, or for whatever reason. But uh, I don't feel like there's a need to have a tune-up fight at this point. I think we're ready. I think, I think uh, as long as I get my, my 10 weeks of training that I require for, for my fight, I think I'll be good to go. Now, as far as like your obligations, do you feel you were announced as a matchroom fighter, you know, just six months ago, Mike <laughs> Garcia signs with matchroom. It's not quite as simple as that, of course, with you, because you've been clear, you want to maintain a level of independence with your career. And I, I respect, that. I think all fighters should actually do that because you can get bigger fights that way. Where does it stand with, with you and matchroom, you working with Eddie? Oh, we could definitely uh, continue work. And, and I really enjoyed and, and, and uh, appreciated the work that they did with me, uh, the transparency, which was a big deal for me, a uh, big part of the, of the agreement, uh, you know, being full transparent and working alongside with me. Uh, we basically partnered up for that fight. You know, uh, it was more like a co-promotion partnership between both uh, to, to get this, this, this event uh, going with Jesse Vargas. Um, but we do have a, a contractual uh, clause where, um, they obviously have the, the right to, to present to me another offer where I seriously consider and I weigh, is it equal value? Is it equal value in different terms? Not only monetary value, but also in, in legacy and fight and, and quality of fight. So that's, that's where we stand. I would definitely you know, like to work with them again. They, they, the whole team matchroom was, was wonderful with me. The uh, zone did a great job with, you know, with, with their media coverage and everything with me. So I have nothing negative to say about them or no reason for me not to work with them. Um, the only thing is we want to see what happens with boxing. We don't know where it's at right now, when it gets back to, to normal. Um, you mentioned, you know, Top Rank had a show uh, last night and they're having another show, like I said, tomorrow night. But it's kind of like the smaller show, maybe, maybe less expensive shows. Um, I don't know what that can translate to towards a big show, a big, you know, fight where, me and Manny Pacquiao deserve an audience, and I think it demands an audience because it generates a lot of money also. You know, fighters like, like Manny that, that require a big purse, big guarantees, 
you know, the promoter can just cough up money out of nowhere. You know, it has to generate from somewhere. And, and the gate is, is a large uh, stream of revenue where you're able to generate the money to pay these fighters. So I think a fight with Manny would definitely have to wait until we have an audience, um, whether that gets pulled by, by Matchroom and, and, and the zone or, or anybody else. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to negotiate and talk to anybody. You know, uh, like I said, the zone did great. Matchroom did great. They had already reached out to Team Pacquiao prior to the Jesse Vargas fight, and we had already got a few uh, dates that were floating around for the early summer. And, you know, we were excited to move on uh, with these ideas and these plans. But, um, you know, the pandemic hit, so now we have to kind of just sit back and wait for a little longer. But, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to, to be back as soon as we can get back. I don't need to know 2 no fight. I'm ready to go. Did you feel, Mikey, that the plan for a potential you and Pacquiao fight was going to involve the Middle East because that that seemed to be where a lot of money could lie and maybe could lie in the future uh, if this pandemic prevents the kind of crowds that you and Pacquiao would draw. Well, it, it, that was one of the, the sites and, and uh, options that, that was brought up to my attention. You know, possibly uh, taking that fight to, uh, to, to the Middle East just like they did uh, Joshua and, and, and Reese. Um, we never got into full details about it, but it was brought up to my attention that they were a, a, a big uh, player in, in, in the site and hosting the event. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to go anywhere. I'm willing to travel anywhere. Like I've always said, inside of that ring, it's same four ropes, same four corners. You know, no matter where it's staged, you know, I, I know the ring, you know, like, like nobody else. So I, I'm comfortable going anywhere in the world. And I actually would love to, you know, fight out, out overseas, fight somewhere else. I think that would be very cool uh, to, to be able to put that down and, and, you know, have that experience of fighting in front of a different crowd, different people, a different country, you know, and bring something new to, to another nation would be terrific. And I think we forget sometimes true world champions have fought everywhere, all over the world, and had some incredibly exactly. memorable moments uh, when doing that. So did you watch the, the top rank return show headlined by Shakur? I, did, I didn't catch that one. Uh, I'll, I'll be catching uh, tomorrow's show because, like I said, we got two fighters there. Mm -hmm. uh, Luis Coria, he's fighting, and uh, Brian Lua. You know, so I'll be, I'll be tuning in for that. Uh, last night, I, I was a little busy here at home with the kids and the family, but I uh, didn't get a chance to see it, but I'll, I'll be watching tomorrow night. It was interesting. You know, you say, you know, four corners, four ropes, and, and you're right. It's all the same ring. It's just a little different when you're not hearing anything outside of that <laughs> ring. And it's, I, thought, I thought the TV version of it, Mikey, looked great because they put – big signs, and, and it just looked like, had a good feel to it. But it was definitely weird, man. It had to have been weird for the fighters to be in there and, and be doing their thing and not have crowd reaction as part of it. I'm still, I'm still curious to see how that works out, especially when fighters like you draw big crowds, and most of those yeah. crowds are oftentimes there for you. They support you. You know, how different that would be for a guy like you. Definitely. That, that's something that, that's still, you know, uh, in the back of my head. You know, can, can I compete? Can I fight? Can I get you know, emotional and, and really giving my all with no crowd. I mean, one of the best moments, if not the best moment of any fight for me is the, 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 ring, the ring walk, the walkout. Coming out of my locker room, coming out of my, 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 my uh, room, into the crowd, into the arena, looking up, hearing the music play and hearing all the fans cheer and, and, and just remind me that they're here to see me it touches me. It's emotional. You know, it makes me, it makes me really appreciate the love and support. And, 
it's just unbelievable to me. You know, I, all these people are there to see me, you know, and, and they took time away from their daily lives and routines and whatnot, travel, whatever they had to do to be there. You know, that's special. And that allows me to fight hard. You know, I give them, you know, a, a fight that they, they're, you know, going to remember. Um, now, not having that might change the way I fight. I'm not, I don't know. I mean, that's still to be answered. You know, we, we need to uh, talk to some of these kids. You know, I'll, I'll talk to the guys from the gym, you know, after their fights and see how it, it felt, how they felt about it. Um, if that's what they have to do right now, then that's what we have to do. You have to, you know, make adjustments. You have to, you know, uh, make, make some different uh, adjustments in, in, in the way you fight to get through, through these uh, moments. But, uh, I mean, I, I would love to have the fans there. I think that's, that's part of the whole energy. You know, that energy in the arenas when it's crowd – pleasing like that it's just it's a whole different uh, environment and it's 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 uh, electrifying at times so i, I really want to have that kind of atmosphere again you've said and we all know you want manny pacquiao in a fight like that but as you said as well you don't know what pacquiao is going to do or if he's even going to fight again there are a lot of variables when it come to comes to a manny pacquiao fight do you do you have a short list? I mean, Pacquiao is like the big-time money man in the division, but you're right after him. I mean, you're one of the bigger money men in boxing. You can get a lot of guys in this sport. Do you have a short list of guys that you that really would motivate you to get you in the ring? I think I think uh, I've, I've mentioned it before as well. I think uh, no, number one, Manny Pacquiao is the biggest fight for me right now. Um, everybody in the welterweight division or close by wants a Manny Pacquiao fight. I think that's the biggest fight also, not only for me, but also for him. I think we can generate the most uh, attention, the bigger audience, uh, the biggest purses also, because we both generate a lot of, of, of uh, audience. But if, if, uh, if Manny Pacquiao is unavailable, then, then at that point I look at whatever, what else is available. And we do have Danny Garcia, who I think is, is another you know, big draw in the division. And I think that would be a terrific fight if I, if I were to secure uh, uh, Danny Garcia. Uh, followed by Keith Thurman, Sean Porter. Those fights are – these guys are always in exciting fights. Sean Porter is always in exciting fights. He's fought some of the best guys already. You know, uh, former you know, two-time champion as well. So I think these fights will still be exciting enough for the crowd, for the fans to, to tune in. Um, I would, I would love to earn my shot at another, another Errol Spence fight. I would love to earn a shot at a rematch. Uh, in order to do that, I need one or two good wins in order to demand and, and really create that, that uh, energy and that momentum to secure a, a rematch. I would lo love a, a rematch with Errol Spence. I think it would be a great matchup. I think I'll, I'll do a lot better because I'm a little better now in the weight. I thought I was going to do well last time, but, you know, apparently I wasn't ready. But now, now – <laughs> Now I think, I think I'll do a lot more uh, just because I'm carrying the weight for so much more time than just, you know, two months or 10 weeks, 12 weeks that, that I had last time. Is it important to you, Mikey, to fight one way or the other again in 2020, even if that means, you know, doing a closed-door fight and all that comes with it? Or is it your preference to kind of, you know, if it takes till February, March, whatever, to get the kind of, you know, financial landscape right, whatever it is, I mean, what's your, your mentality when it comes to fighting this year? Well, I'll, I'll definitely fight one more time before the end of the year. Um, whether it's on a, on a big stage or small stage, it's uh, still, like I said, up in the air. We don't know. If things don't look well for putting together a big arena, big stage with, 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 with all the fans, 
Then I might look into, you know, staging a smaller scale fight. Um, it probably wouldn't be a big name like Manny Pacquiao, but we could still give the, 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 the fans on, on TV on, 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 on um, maybe they do, they mentioned, I heard maybe limited seating, you know, a small uh, venues with, with small seats. So maybe, maybe something like that. Um, but I do want to fight. I do want to fight before the end of the year. But I'm, right now, I'm waiting to see where, where everything goes. But uh, I want to get another fight before the end of the year. I think, you know, I wanted to stay active this year. I, wanted, I was planning on fighting three times this year. You know, I had some goals. But, uh, you know, you have to, you know, just move with the, with the times and, and do what you got to do right now. We'll wait, we'll wait a couple more months, maybe another two months, to see where, where the landscape goes. Before I let you go, um, I, I wrote this week that the Pro Gray Hooker fight has fallen apart because Hooker wants to stay at 147 now and Pro Gray won't go up above 143. You have said that fighting at 140 is still an option for you down the line. Does Regis Pro Gray do anything for you? Does that move the needle for you at all as a potential opponent? Well, if, if I got, you know, Manny Pacquiao or Danny Garcia or Thurman or Porter available, then Pro Gray has to kind of wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys are are, are more in, 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 uh, exciting for me. More, more. Uh, I have more interest in, in a fight with these guys. If those fights are not available, then I would, uh, you know, look into 140. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not ruling out the 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 uh, possibility of me coming down to 140, but at the moment, with the champions at 140, being Jose Ramirez, who's a stablemate friend of mine, holding two titles, obviously we're not going to fight each other. And the other champion being uh, Josh Taylor, who just signed recently with top rank a few months back. You know, I don't see me getting a title fight at 140 anytime soon. Mm-hmm. I just don't see that happening. So there's nothing really for me at 140. So that's why I'm, I'm more excited to be at 147 and, and try to uh, pursue a title fight there. Um, maybe later a few titles, you know, are picked up by somebody else at 140. Maybe Regis picks up a belt. Maybe Taylor vacates or Jose vacates or whatever it may be, and that opens you know doors for me there. But until then, I'm not looking at 140. How many times have you and Ramirez sparred? I, I bet you've probably done three fights or more actually sparring. <laughs> we spar a lot. We spar a lot. We were actually helping each other for well for my fight with Jesse. I was working with him as he was also getting ready for Victor Postol. Mm. I was helping him out a few rounds, and at the same time, it's helping me get ready for Jesse. Um, and that was just, you know, this time, but we've, we've worked, you know, many, um, they're interesting sparring sessions, man. You know, mm-hmm. he's very strong. He's a strong guy, even though he's fighting at 40 and I'm fighting at 47, but he's naturally bigger. Mm-hmm. So I, I gotta be very careful because he, he is very strong. If he became undisputed at some point early next year, would you ever get in the ring with him? Ah, as long as he's with my brother, I don't think that would ever happen. You know, <laughs> Tough call for your yeah, brother. We, we, we've become, we've been, we've become uh, good friends. Uh, we've hung out several times here, and, and you know, we see each other. We, we have uh, mutual respect for one another. Um, and like I said, as long as he's in, in my brother's gym with my brother, he's, he's family to, to me. So we, we don't want to do that. Hmm. You know, a similar scenario happened you know, years ago, seven years ago, when I was champion at featherweight. At that time, my brother had me as a champion, Evgeny Gradovich as a featherweight champion, uh, Cuellar was a featherweight champion, and Onito Donaire was moving up in weight. You know, so my brother had, you know, a, a lot of featherweights, 
and all of us were champions. And they asked, you know, would you guys fight each other for, for unification matches? And we all said the same thing. As long as we're in the same gym, we're not going to fight each other. Mm-hmm. Now, if one fighter moves gyms and then that fight is presented, then, yeah, we could fight each other at that point. And coincidentally, a few years ago, Abner came into our gym. Cuellar had left. Well, Abner fought Cuellar for, for his title, and, and Abner beat him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, certain scenarios have to change in order for fights to, to get done. Uh, as long as Jose is here, I don't think I would, I would, I would fight him. Um, I know for a fact I wouldn't be fighting him. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, in the future, if he moved gyms, and that was the biggest fight available for him and me, and there's nothing else that we can secure – then we would maybe at that point look into it. But until then, I, you know, I, I don't even want to, you know, consider that because we're friends, we're cool with each other. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a family thing right now. So what you're saying is you need Ramirez to win undisputed and then fire your brother and go back to Freddie. And then, then you can have the clash, <laughs> man. Then you can go at it. At, at that point, we could definitely uh, sit down and discuss the, 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 the options. <laughs> hey, Mikey, always good to talk to you, man. Good to see you doing well, and uh, hope to see you back in one way or the other at some point in 2020. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate everything, man. Stay well, stay healthy. Uh, be, just be safe, you know. We'll try, try to see you soon. Best we can. Thanks, man. Thank you. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.